So today's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, and is found on page 676 in the Church Bibles. A common destiny for all. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brilliant. Well, do keep that uh, passage uh, open in front of you. Uh, it's good to be back this morning in the uh, book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and as you've gathered, it's a, it's a book, isn't it? Looking and searching for wisdom. And because our world is crooked, because our hearts are crooked, we need God's help to uh, discover that wisdom for us this morning. Let's pray as we come to this passage this morning. Father, again, we remind ourselves that you are in heaven, that we're on earth, as chapter 5 said. And so we come humbly, not to speak now, but to, to listen to you. So please open our ears to hear your wisdom for us, uh, your truth for life and living. And please move our hearts to live in the light of what you reveal to us. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. 
Well, I don't know if, if you've seen the film uh, The Bucket List, uh, starring Jack Nicholson and um, Morgan Freeman. It's a story of two men who come from very different sides of the track, and yet they um, meet in a cancer hospital, and an unlikely friendship develops. And realising that time is short, uh, they come up with a, a list of things that they would love to do before they die. Uh, a list that includes, I think, skydiving, uh, racing a vintage Shelby Mustang, uh, riding motorbikes across the Great Wall of China, and visiting the Taj Mahal. And in the joys and thrills of this globe-trotting adventure, they also uh, start to reflect, I think, on the more serious things of life, regrets, uh, broken relationships and marriages. And to find out the rest of the story, you'll have to watch the film. Uh, many, I guess you might have noticed, have been uh, intrigued by this idea of a, of a bucket list. Uh, things that you do before you die. This has become, I think, very popular. So if you Google Amazon, which I did this week, um, and type in 100 things to do before you die, uh, you'll find books appearing uh, that will invite you to, to travel the world, um, see the great wonders. Others have more modest ambitions. 100 things to do in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, before you die. Uh, regarding the latter, one interviewer, one reviewer suggested the book would have been better if it had been just five things <laughs> rather than a hundred. Well, this idea of, of a bucket list, this idea behind that film and the books I've mentioned, I guess is about sort of seizing the moment, isn't it? Uh, living life to the max while you've got the chance. And from my research this week, there seems to be a lot of overlap in what we think we ought to cram into life before it ends. Uh, see the sunrise over the Grand Canyon. Uh, swim with dolphins is a popular one. Bungee jump, maybe. Uh, learn a musical instrument. Apparently that makes the top ten. I guess that that bucket list idea is partly driven, isn't it, by this phenomenon uh, of uh, life being short. Um, and we only have one shot, don't we, at life. Um, this life, though, for the Christians is a bit different, isn't it? Because we know this is the, this is the, the starter, isn't it, of something that will uh, continue beyond this life. This is the hors d'oeuvres. Uh, the main course is still future. Indeed, for the Christian, the best is ahead of us. Um, uh, but does that mean now, in this life, life under the sun, we hold off from in, enjoying life? Do we sort of avoid the great experiences of life, the great pleasures the world has to offer. Well, I think that our passage this morning has something to, to say about bucket lists, uh, about the kind of life that is well lived, that is wise, as we live in a world where life is like vapour, like mist, where it's fleeting and both frustrated and at times frustrating. So what does our passage want us to understand and see this morning? Well, fortunately, our teacher, perhaps it's King Solomon, we don't know, uh, has done some of the legwork in thinking about uh, what wisdom looks like in a crooked world. He's been reflecting on life, uh, as we've seen, uh, and he's been drawing up conclusions about life and how we are to live it. So look down at verse 1. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean, the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who do not. Teacher confronts us, doesn't he, with two realities. One is certainty, 
uh, that we'll all die. And we've thought about that already in this series, haven't we? But he's also observed that life now is full of uncertainty as we live in this world, as we live under the sun. Uh, we don't know, do we, what awaits us. We don't know uh, what is around the corner, what will be uh, ahead of us, whether it will be love or hate or sorrow or joy, uh, largely smooth sailing or relentless storms. We don't know. And our passage ends too, doesn't it, with that same theme. Look down at verse 11. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. Actually, our teacher is not someone who believes that the world is totally random. He's not a, a Richard Dawkins who thinks that there is nothing at the, the wheel, as it were, of the world, but chance. Uh, a better translation of that phrase in, in gold is um, events and circumstances uh, happen to us all. Ones that we can't foresee or always predict. And so that means, that, doesn't it, our life is now lived in that shadow of, of uncertainty. Stuff happens, we say, and although uh, the fastest generally do win, the stronger do generally defeat the weaker. There's no guarantee, is there? The favourite trips in the home straight, the markets crash, uh, the uh, scan turns up something unexpected. Uh, a global pandemic strikes. And even the certainties of life, that one day I'll breathe my last, are, are surrounded too by lots of uncertainty. So verse 12, no one knows when the hour will come like fish caught in donets, uh, birds caught in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Things happen, don't they, that we don't see coming. Well, as we are confronted with that uncertainty this morning in our passage, so again, we are faced, I think, up, up to the limitations of life. It does end, and whether we are wicked or good, uh, among the clean or the unclean, the religious or the irreligious, we all share that common experience of death. The same destiny overtakes each one of us. And no matter how wisely we live, uh, we are born, aren't we, under that same sentence. As ever since humanity turned its back on God, we, uh, finding ourselves turning our back on that author of life, we are those living under that sentence. And so life is limited in this world, uh, and so are the opportunities to enjoy it. Uh, our enjoyment is fleeting. We have our moments that were under the sun, or Shakespeare put it, we have that moment we, on the stage, and then the curtain falls. And the teacher confronts us with this very intriguing statement, a, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Even the lowliest life, and dogs in those days were the low life, the scavengers, um, not the treasure pets. Well, even they have something going for them, more so than a majestic but dead lion. See, where there's life, there's opportunity. Uh, if you're conscious, you can experience and feel. But when it ends, there's no, no play again button uh, to press or click. It's game over. And the teacher, I think, wants us to grasp this. 
even if that day might seem a far a distant uh, reality. The countdown starts, doesn't it, when we are born, even if we don't know how much time is on the clock set for us. So uncertainty and limitedness is what life looks like now. And if those are truths we rather not face up to, uh, we can't ignore them. But the question is, of course, well, how do we live practically, wisely, in the shadow of these uncomfortable and undeniable realities? I, I did some research this week because I discovered there's lots out there about how do we live with uncertainty and some of the anxieties, maybe, that come with that uncertainty. Here are a few suggestions that I came across on some uh, popular websites. Uh, take control. Replace expectations with plans, whatever that means. Uh, on a similar line, uh, focus on what you can control. Uh, practice mindfulness. I don't know what that is, but it sounds exciting. Um, develop habits and routines that put you in the driving seat. Uh, find healthy comfort items, not drugs or alcohol. Didn't mention chocolate though, that was good. Um, work out the positives in a situation, don't focus on the negatives. Here's an interesting one, stop looking for someone to rescue you. What does the teacher say? How are we to live in the light of our limitations, including that limitation to know what's around the corner? I think the teacher has two things he wants us to grasp this morning as we live with our limitations and our uncertainties. And here's the first one. Wisdom is not about knowing all the answers, but trusting the one who does. Put very simply, it says we can't figure it all out. That's part of our limitations. Uh, just look at the verse before our, our chapter, the last verse of chapter 8. Here's the teacher, one of the wisest people in history, and this is his conclusion. Then I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim to know, they cannot really comprehend it. And I have to agree with that conclusion. Why did the Christian minister I studied with slip on a, a mountain uh, robbing a young family of a dad and a husband? Why was such a strategic ministry in France, a really needy country, suddenly brought to a premature end? Or why did a one young woman we knew succumb to cancer when she was having such an impact for good and for the gospel, even here at Emmanuel? and in her wider community. Oh, why was that good friend of mine struck down with depression that's meant he spent his last years um, in a sort of spiritual wilderness rather than in the joy of the Lord he served? And perhaps we try, don't we, our best to figure things out, to work out what God is doing in the mess and he, what he's achieving in the specifics of our lives. But the teacher concludes, often we simply don't no, whatever we might think or claim. I think I've mentioned this book before, uh, Jim Packer's uh, great book, uh, Knowing God. Probably one of the best books written in the last 50 years, I would say. And there's a section in it where the author, Jim Packer, talks about Ecclesiastes and why this book is in the Bible. So if at the end of this series you're, you're still pretty clueless, that might be the answer. Read that uh, part of his book. 
And, and Packer says one of the main uh, purposes of Ecclesiastes is to correct a misunderstanding we might have. You see, we think that godly wisdom is all about God uh, letting us into the secrets of what he's doing in particular situations and why. And Packer argues uh, God's ordering of events is, is inscrutable. That means often unclear, unknowable. Much as we want to make it out, we cannot do so. Uh, the harder we try to understand the divine purpose in the ordinary providential courses of events, the more obsessed and oppressed you grow, and the more tempted to conclude that life really is as pointless as it looks. But he adds, this is an important thing, he adds up one more thing to say on the subject. The truth is that God is his wisdom, sorry, God in his wisdom uh, to make and keep us humble and to teach us to walk by faith has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about the providential purposes which he's working out in the church and in our lives. And so having acknowledged the limits of our understanding, notice how our teacher continues in verse 1. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. And it's true, acknowledging that, that my life is not in my hands, but God's, I think is at the heart of what it means to walk by faith, to live out the Christian life. It's not about the power of positive thinking. It's not about being able to figure out what's going on always. Or even our ability to figure out what God is doing in every situation. Certainly not about taking control, but it is about trusting the one who is in control and trusting that he has to have the one who, he has to be the one with the hands on the world. That's a place we want to be, actually, the best place to be in God's hands. But don't get me wrong, there are times, I think, when we do see something of what God's purposes are. We catch a glimpse, don't we, of what God is doing in a situation. And that can be a great help and a great encouragement. But while we're under the sun with our sort of worm's eye view, we don't always see what God sees or what God is doing. But faith, a trusting in God and his purpose, is not blind faith, is it? Indeed, this side of the cross, we are given a glimpse into the most, I guess, chaotic and confusing event in history. The murder of the Son of God, the author of life. Here's the moment where the righteous one suffers the fate of the wicked. As Ecclesiastes puts it, he suffers our fate. The author of life dies as a common sinner, receiving the judgments that we deserved. Remarkably, God in that kind of apparent chaos reveals, doesn't he, that he's very much in charge of that injustice and evil. He's at work, bringing about his glorious purpose, not least the salvation and redemption of the world. And as God, I think, reveals his purposes here, as he rolls back the curtain to display his plans, I think we are given, aren't we, every encouragement to trust him, to, to rest in his purposes as they unfold in our lives, even if they often remain quite perplexing and even painful. That's not easy, is it? That's hard. But we do have good ground to do that in the chaos and the confusion. One of my favourite hymns is an old uh, classic written by a man called William Cooper. He was afflicted often by dark depression. He often cried out to God that he would be released from it 
But often it seemed his prayers were just unanswered. Thankfully, God gave him just enough light in a dark time, in a dark time to write that famous hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I think my favourite verse is not so much a confident shout of victory, but actually a call to faith. Judge not uh, the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I love the words because they are real, aren't they? Their acknowledgement that our own senses are feeble. We don't have all the answers. We don't always know what God is doing in the detail. We have to trust the one who does know what he's doing, who does see the end from the beginning. Wisdom says the teacher is about not knowing all the answers, but trusting one who does. And secondly, Living wisely in an uncertain world, I think, means not trying to control tomorrow, but means enjoying God's gifts today. Living wisely in an uncertain world means not trying to control tomorrow, but means enjoying God's gifts today. Interesting, much of, I guess, modern life today seems to me, at least, to be a fixation with control. Notice that. So having dismissed God and decided that we can kick him into touch, we resort to taking on the role of God, which means living and acting as those who think they are or want to be in control. In the face of anxieties, the fear of uncertainty, take control. Uh, Focus on what you can control. Develop habits that put you in the driving seat. So maybe we resolve not to be couch potatoes. We decide to head to the gym to work out, because the statistics tell us that if we do so, we will live healthier, we'll live longer. And maybe we become obsessed about putting aside stuff for that proverbial rainy day. Perhaps as working long hours so that we can have that security that knows that every eventuality is covered. We become fixated on studying. We work late into the night to ensure we've got the best grades and therefore the best opportunities when it comes to life options and choices. The teacher drives home the point that however hard we try, we can't remove uncertainty. We can't remove the unexpected, the unplanned. That future is not ultimately in our hands. And for some of us, that refusal to acknowledge that turns us into to control freaks, doesn't it? Trying to focus on controlling, controlling as many of the variables as we possibly can. But ultimately, I think it's the, fool, it's the fool's errand. For all our efforts, the race isn't always won by the swiftest. Uh, the battle doesn't always go uh, to the strong. Uh, those with the most letters after their name don't often end up being the wealthiest. As the Bible says, time and chance happens to them all. Life is uncertain. God has made it that way. And uh, no amount of clever planning can remove all its uncertainties. Now, don't get me wrong, the Bible's not against planning. Just turn back a few pages to Proverbs 31, you see a a wonderful example of a woman commended for her forward thinking and her planning. But I think the teacher, faced with uncertainty and the temptation to, to try and control life, urges us to avoid the tragedy of trying to control tomorrow in a way that misses out on God's gifts for today. See, we have, haven't we, been given today uh, and gifts to enjoy today. And how, how tragic 
to, to fail to enjoy them because of an obsession to control tomorrow. Or by an anxiety about what might happen uh, if we don't or can't. Jesus says something, doesn't he, very similar in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, uh, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Uh, can you, uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? How does he conclude? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow worries about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As we draw to close, uh, how does the teacher positively now commend a different way of living? Look down at verse 7. I think these are wonderful words to reflect on and to mull over this coming week. Verse 7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, in your toilsome labour under the sun. I think the teacher is urging us not to be control freaks, workaholics, where food just becomes fuel. Those who only eat at their desk and shovel down food never get a chance to enjoy it, taste it. Don't live life like that. But eat your food with gladness, drink wine with a joyful heart. I mean, it seems to me the teacher encouraging us to eat and drink with thankfulness before, but here I think he kind of hones in on the experience, the feeling, the joy and pleasure these things give. Now, if we feel uncomfortable, anxious about the pleasures that these things bring, not least in a time of austerity, God assures us that our Heavenly Father approves. He wants us to enjoy these things. I remember a kid at a party when I was very small, uh, sitting watching as we tucked in uh, to the great things that had been provided for us at that party. And then his dad showed up. I remember seeing that expression of a dad just nodding and smiling. And that boy then took his cue and tucked in himself. Enjoyed those gifts with us. Same goes for clothes. Uh, Commoners disagree what it means to always be wearing white. But it seems to have that idea of dressing for a festivity. Uh, putting on our glad rags ever so often. Uh, fixing our hair. Putting on makeup maybe. Enjoying the moment and the way it makes us feel. And enjoy the relationships you have uh, and being blessed with a spouse, perhaps friends, neighbours, colleagues. Don't always stay up working late in the office, uh, even justifying it perhaps by saying we're providing for them, but living in a way which means we never get to enjoy them. These gifts are God's gifts to us, things he deliberately has given us as our portion. And we would be fools, not wise, to, to spurn what God has graciously given us. I love verse 10. Whatever our hands find to do, do it with all your might. Throw yourself into life with both feet. Seize the day and those blessings that God has provided for us to enjoy in that day. The opportunities, the gifts, 
began with a film. I don't know if you end with a film. Uh, you might remember the film Dead Poet Society, starring Robin Williams. That rather unconventional teacher, that boy is born in school in America, and his methods were quite unconventional, weren't they, if you remember the film? But he rightly urges those boys to make the most of life, its gifts and pleasures. There's a great scene in there where he gathers them around, those pictures of those boys who've, who've moved on, uh, perhaps years ago, perhaps many of them not alive. And as they kind of gather in, he whispers, carpe diem, seize the day. Don't live half-heartedly. Uh, as the teacher would say, don't half enjoy God's gifts and blessings like that nervous child at the party who isn't sure whether they should tuck in or not. Well, perhaps the teacher's wisdom seems uh, unconventional too to us, perhaps surprising this morning. And perhaps we're just nervous about taking his advice. Isn't this just kind of a version of, sort of eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, that mantra of the hedonist who simply lives to indulge themselves? Isn't this what Jesus says not to do, to run after the things that the pagans around us run after, who think they only have one shot at life, who are desperate to get as many points before the game ends? Surely Christians should focus on God or the world to come, the delights we can anticipate then, rather than those shadows on offer now. Well, yes, the teacher does say we are to live with God at the centre, uh, with his concerns and purposes in view, not least, as we'll discover at the punchline of this book, that we are heading towards a day of judgment, where everything will be brought into judgment. But I think that judgment will not only include what we've done with that gift of the gospel and of Jesus, because that's key to everything, but also include how we respond to all the gifts he sends our way, including uh, those gifts that are part of our portion. And if we are Christians, those approved by God, those accepted by him, not because of anything we've done, but because of Jesus and only through him. Here we discover, don't we, that God wants us to know that he approves of us rightly enjoying those gifts that he's allocated for us. Especially when we're thankful for them. Especially when we turn those gifts into praise and to worship as we get to enjoy not just those gifts, but the generous God. Uh, who provides them. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul reminds us that all God has created is good. Nothing is to be despised or rejected that he sends if it's received with thanksgiving. So let's savour and enjoy his gifts and turn that into a trusting thankfulness that fills our hearts with joy in our wise and loving Father. Well, let's pray that as we live in a world that often feels chaotic, that we might live as those who are released from the pressure of trying to understand everything, knowing all the answers, but trusting the one who does. And let's live those lives released from the temptation to try and control everything, including tomorrow, but actually enjoy God's good gifts today. Let's pray. Father, as we think about life, particularly its uncertainties, we thank you for blessings, gifts that you have poured into our lives. Thank you for that blessing of Jesus, that good gift of the gospel that changes everything for us. But we thank you too for the gifts that we're going to enjoy because of your kindness and grace even today. Father, we don't need to live in a, with a bucket list, perhaps, but we do want to 
fully enjoy those gifts that you have given us, knowing that they come from a God who loves us, who cares for us, provides for us. And even today, as we enjoy those gifts, may those gifts turn our hearts to you and to your, thank you and to your praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.